0: Last of my strength, I pull something deep inside. Something deep inside. What are you doing? Is it that it's Please, stop. Delay privacy. Delay privacy. These were enemies. These words. They were lying. I'm somewhat of a collector, though unlike many of my contemporaries, most of my collection is open to anyone who asks. I've always believed that art is meant to be seen. That said, there is one collection, stored in sturdy oak crates in my loft, that is kept from prying eyes, not for any petty possessiveness, but for their own sanity. I speak of the brief impressionist period of Dr. Cuthbert Carruthers of Castleby-on-Crook. Cuthers, to his chums, at the East Albion Green Quad Cricket Club. He had a doctorate in psychopathology, a doctorate in modern art, and if they offered a doctorate in tinkering pointlessly, he would have earned one of those with ease. Yes, many a glad July afternoon. Cuthers would take me on a tour of his shed. A simple affair of wood slats and tar roof from the outside. But pull on the right hoe and whoosh! A colossal pneumatic tube delivers you 50 feet down into a positively cyclopean lair of gizmos, shelves and workstations laden with Byzantine brass behemoths. And Gin Distillery, although that last one was mum's the word, as Cuthers' wife was under secretary of the local Temperance Society. He walked me through his collection thus far. A golem that folded laundry, a vacuum-powered pistol that could make the target willingly change their religious denomination. Uh, there was a dial of the side Presbyterian, Anglican, Jesuit, and so on. To Dr. Cuthbert Carruthers, however, these were mere meringues. No, his latest creation was his crowning achievement, in a literal sense, as it was in fact a crown. with a crown of imagincipation, he stated to me in an awed tone as he drew back the velvet curtain to his most selective of shells. They'd seemed to me more of a many-hosed hat. Uh, there was a positive spaghetti mess of them, all sneaking around and into the dome of polished pewter. Uh, pewter being the most conductive material for thought waves, as we all know. I queried its function. Why, to emancipate the imagination, dear boy. To unshackle the artistic spark from the fetters of a deft touch or academic rigour. Over a refreshing g and the good doctor put it to me that any Thomas Dickens or Harriet could possess the soul of a great artist, but lack the technique and training to express it. The crown would be their facilitator. He took me into his studio and thusly demonstrated. Quite simply, he sat before a blank canvas, and around him lay a circle of paint pots of every pigment you could think of. Also, three you couldn't. They were new, and Covers was waiting to bring them to market. He donned his queer crown, closed his eyes, and after a moment of focus, I fancied the very air seemed to change. Like the moments preceding a thunderstorm droplets of paint flew forth one after the other like a torrential rainstorm across the room and after mere moments the painting was complete. The effort seemed to phase poor covers a smidge and the painting was um, abstract uh, with a vaguely troubling visual aftertaste others assured me that it was just a question of proper calibration, uh, though when I acquired over the stack of finished canvases propped against the wall, he took on a somewhat pale pallor and whisked me out of the shed. Nevertheless, I congratulated him on so fine an invention and went on my way. Over the coming weeks, I found my mind wandering back to Cuthers' crown and the wondrous possibilities therein. So I endeavoured to happen to be passing his charming little hamlet one afternoon. His wife, dear Carrie Catherine Carruthers, was most relieved to see me. Apparently, he'd been spending every waking hour in his potting shed, and his mood had darkened considerably. She implored me to go on down and see him, bring him back. I found him alone in his workroom, staring off stage left, transfixed. I only took one of my rude rhubarb rumination tipples to snap him out of his torpor, uh, consisting of elderflower, Ma Herbert's strawberry fizz, a gentleman's measure of gin, and a couple of ingredients I'm keeping to myself. Oh, you don't imagine the painting, he uttered to me in a faraway fashion as he sat slumped against his desk. This whole time, I thought the crown was simply assembling the image in my mind. But it it goes deeper than that, Theodore. Far deeper. Not what you want to see, but what you feel. The unthought thoughts. It goes straight down to the subconscious itself, my boy. His eyes were wild and his hands trembling. I made a rude rhubarb for myself double strength he continued at first I thought this was a breakthrough of a different sort what a boon for head shrinkers eh I imagined one set up next to every chaise long and Freud bust Uh, that was before I really dialed in the calibration and the illustrations became more vivid with that he feebly gestured around him and in the gloom of his studio, I finally noticed that canvases adorned every inch of every wall. All displaying the hectic, telltale splattering of the crown. Now, I fancy my upper lip to be quite stiff, but I imagine even Bosch would have wet his Johns down in that basement. Each depiction was worse than the next leering demonic creatures, subhumans, clawing for freedom through rusty bars. Sweet Carrie being mounted by hounds with human faces. Uh, I recognized the face from East Albion Green Quad Cricket Club. The last was a cruel monstrous figure, depicted as if he were a thousand feet tall, and looming down with such an alarming sense of perspective that it was as if he was threatening to reach through the canvas and crush the life from you. His face bore a resemblance. Oh, my father, dear boy, he uttered to me. Dear God, Theodore, he was a stern man, but do I really regard him that way? I couldn't answer, so he continued, If I were a man of belief, I'd assume the devil was whispering in my ear. If only these depictions lurk in the deepest recesses of my mind. Fears, desires, a kind of absent-minded thought you dismiss with a shake of a head or some fever dream that evaporates with the morning light. My infernal device has brought it all into the world, unremitting into sunlight, Oh, made it all real and clear on the canvases. There's more. Look again at the painting of my dearest wife. See how the blood spatters seem to form patterns. I looked again. The sprays of arterial blood did seem to have a logic to them. The loops of blood formed to letters, and the letters to words. Two of them. Free me. He started to rave then about Jung and archetypes, that he'd brought down the thin walls of his mind so that the mother and child, the trickster and the hero, the father and the devil were all now merging, fighting for dominance. I calmed him down and convinced him of a solution. It was then that we went to the Imagincipation crown with hammer and chisel, rendering it asunder until it was a mere collection of pewter scraps and shreds of rubber hosing. I took the remnants from the house and tossed them into the canal that ran along the Weasley Catfish Canning Factory and watched them sink into the murky water, bubbling feebly till there was no trace. I marveled that so small a creation could have caused so much turmoil. I didn't seek others till almost a month later. When he turned up at east albion green quad cricket club walking a little unsteadily and his arm supported by dear Carrie, he was somewhat thinner pale but the mad fearful glimmer in his eyes had subsided and he seemed of good spirits the chaps took his absence as a period of ill health and welcomed him back with warm embrace the game was out of the question for him but he did volunteer to whip up another spiffy watercolour of the afternoon wicket for our mess wall. It was a balmy afternoon, and the club was doing well. I'd even fended off the odd googly. <laughs> At tea, I came up to the box to see how Guthers was getting on. I'd made a fine depiction of the game, vivid, playful, and I'd put him in good spirits. We were discussing the limitations of discretion over a perceived LBW, whilst imbibing a soothing Earl Grey, when the mug suddenly slipped from his hand, and he doubled over with a terrific migraine. And that's when I felt it—the same sharp tinge to the air I tasted the first time he demonstrated the crown. And with a sudden storm of movement, the paint from his palette flung itself at the canvas. Oh, then, then the tubes themselves ripped asunder and flew their pigment across the room. Then even the tea—any liquid around, in fact—contorted and flew through the air with devilish abandon. Why, I fancy even Carrie's tears were swept up in the maelstrom. When the surge of noise and movement ceased, I looked over to the canvas. Now the clubhouse was shown to be in flames and great cracks forming on the pitch. The players themselves were shown as writhing in agony and the sky painted with grey and black was a menacing storm with slashes of lightning seeming to form letters. We are one. Cuthers was hurling himself round the room at this point, screaming obscenities, weeping, laughing. His mood, nay, nay, his very personality seemed to be violently contorting every second. I ushered Carrie outside while several of the stronger catchers held him down and got into Albion Sanatorium for the mentally feeble. Now after that, I can only report what I heard from the more talkative orderlies." His ravings carried on unabated, right on into the padded cell, and whilst they fumbled on a straitjacket, he somehow got hold of the doctor's fountain pen and was able to open up his wrists. Cackling wildly, he stood up straight whilst the blood poured from his veins all up the walls and ceiling with a pressure I am assured is impossible with the mere beat of a human heart. The blood splattered with an evil sort of logic to it so that when every pint was spent and poor covers collapsed dead the room formed a sort of grim tableau. I am informed that the doctor, he of the missing fountain pen, who made a point to study it thoroughly shortly thereafter, became a patient of the very same sanatorium. I suppose the crown had not so much channeled something, but rather unleashed some strange instinct in Cuthers' mind. Perhaps one that lives in us all. In any case, shortly after the funeral, sweet Carrie Carruthers booked passage to the Americas to bring temperance to the distempered. But not before entrusting me with Cuther's final works. I gave them all a nervous glance, packed them away in my loft, then put away five rude rhubarbs before I could get any sleep. Cuthers' ashes are interned at the East Albion Green Quad Cricket Club, in accordance with his wishes. Point of pride in the trophy room. Though I am informed that on more than one occasion the caretaker has come upon the urn rolling around on the floor, and the ashes forming queer patterns. Emergency Patient Crown, starring Darren Callow, written by Peter Gardner All episodes are produced by Dan Scout, sound recordist James Wingfield, post production by Dan Scout. Additional sound effects by Mike Koenig and Daniel Simons from Soundbible.com. For more information, plus previous and future episodes, please visit the iTunes Store or 2 Productions.com. whisper through the static.